Bonus So Money episode, Ask Farnoosh with Charles Schwab's Joe Benvenuto. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Torabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. Surprise! We have a bonus So Money today. It's Ask Farnoosh with our special guest, Joe Benvenuto from Charles Schwab. As many of you know, I'm working with Charles Schwab to help spread financial literacy to the masses, and it's been a really great collaboration so far. I'm a Charles Schwab customer, and I have been for many years. So before we get started, just want to thank Charles Schwab for helping uh, get this financial education content to you. Our special co-host is Joe Benvenuto. He's a chartered financial analyst and he manages two of Schwab's branches in the Bay Area. He has been with Schwab for almost four years, and he's been in the financial services industry for more than 10 years. He served as an infantry officer in the United States Army from 2002 to 2007. He also got his bachelor's degree from West Point Military Academy and his MBA from New York University. And so really excited to share the stage with Joe, go through your money questions. We have questions here about investing for retirement, about affording an MBA, which Joe knows all about, and much more. Here we go. Here's Ask Farnoosh with Joe Benvenuto. Joe Benvenuto, welcome to So Money. Very excited to have a partner in crime for these questions. A lot of uh, a lot of important money questions you want to want to answer. Really grateful to have you join us as someone who is an expert in personal finance. Well, thank you so much for Anoush. You know, I'm really excited to join you here today. So, Joe, tell me a little bit about what you do at Charles Schwab. I understand you are a branch manager. You're also a chartered financial analyst. Um, did you grow up thinking this was going to be the space you wanted to get into? Were you always interested in finance? No, not at all. <laughs> Actually, uh, I grew up wanting to be in the Army. And I uh, wanted to be an army officer, career army officer. And uh, that's where I started my career was actually in the military for five years. I went to West Point Military Academy and then graduated and then immediately became an army officer. Um, actually, where the passion for finance came from was uh, my second tour in Iraq. There's this book about uh, owning your financial freedom. And we're all saving like a lot of money overseas because you have very few things to spend your money on. And um, and I was reading through this book. And I thought, wow, this is really interesting stuff. It's like investing in ETF, exchange trade funds and mutual was funds. Was it Jeff Rose is- who wrote the book? Was um, it, do you remember the author? I can't remember. I, I think it's, it's called... Uh, is it David Ramsey, Total Money Makeover, I Oh, believe? okay. Yeah, perhaps. So Jeff Rose is another author who's been on the podcast who is former military, and he wrote a book for uh, his former military compadres just because, to your point, there's a lot of unique circumstances that people in the military have when it comes to money. Right, right. Yeah, so uh, so this was – yeah, I'm pretty sure this was uh, David Ramsey, but it was the idea of like savings and you know owning your financial future and getting out of debt and those sort of things. Um, so that really inspired me and definitely shaped my career. So for me, the logical step leaving the military was to pursue 
um, a a future in finance. And uh, yeah, so I've been in the financial services industry for the last 10 years, currently working at Charles Schwab as a branch manager. So my job here is to lead 30 financial planners and operations personnel in conducting financial planning with our clients here. That's our most important thing we do here in the branches. Um, so, so yeah, I absolutely love what I'm doing. Going back a step, you, you know, talking about the unique circumstances that military and, and, and ex-military individuals have when it comes to money. What do you, besides, of course, the fact that maybe you're not spending a lot when you're in the military, I would also say there are a lot of families, militaries who have family, military members who have family members back home. Um, you know, sometimes the income doesn't go very far. Maybe uh, they have, mm-hmm. or they have a parent at home working and it's struggle. It's a lot of struggle sometimes. So what are some of the other unique challenges you find for those individuals and um, maybe some resources or solutions that you've discovered that would help them? Right. So I think there there are two things. So first thing is budgeting is, you know, savings and then spending instead of, you know, buying impulse buying on credit card and accruing high interest rate debt. You know, I think that's the, the really the first the first key. And, you know, here at Charles Schwab, we have four fundamentals for savings. And it can definitely we have those resources online at Charles Schwab dot com or Schwab dot com. But um, but the other thing is, is impulse buying. Mm-hmm. So for a lot of our you know military military, they've been deployed overseas. And when you're away overseas, for six months, sometimes a year, sometimes a year and a half, the first thing you want to come home to is just do an impulse buy and reward yourself for you know, all the hard work. But that's not always the best decision. And I think that's why the Army bought a lot of those books from, <laughs> from Dave Ramsey yeah. is, uh, <laughs> is really to curb that impulse and to use this money that's sometimes you know, generally tax-free um, to, to use towards, you know, the savings and longer term, you know, smart purchases like funding and education, uh, paying for a child to go through school or, you know, even buying a house. Well, this is all really helpful and I'm sure you're going to have much more to provide us as we get through these questions. So we pulled uh, people from Instagram and my, you know, website and uh, we've got a, a bunch of good questions here. The first one is from Christopher. And he's a young guy, 23 years old, recently graduated undergrad. Uh, congratulations, Christopher. And he is has always been interested in making smart personal financial decisions, which is pretty exceptional. When you were 23, I don't, and when I was 23, I wasn't really in that mind, that headspace. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> um, but he goes on, he says, I've managed to land a job at Stanford doing clinical research in dermatology. Also fantastic. He says the pay isn't bad. It's about $59,000 with full benefits, good vacation plan, good retirement plan. He is uh, beginning a retirement account along with a few investments. Now, Stanford, he says, does not contribute to the retirement account unless you work there for a year. So he's figuring that a Roth would be the obvious choice for the time being. But 
Um, he also wants to go to medical school. And so he's thinking of maybe putting some of that money that he would otherwise invest into a high interest savings account or a fund so that he can go to medical school and come out with less debt. And so if we were in his position, what would we recommend? This is, you know, tough because it's, uh, it's true that medical school, especially medical school, is extremely expensive unless you qualify for, you know, scholarship or grants or some sort of, you know, uh, more affordable track. But I've had a lot of post-doctoral, you know, post-doctors, so I should say post-medical school doctors on the show. And it's a lot of years of saving and overworking to be able to pay down the sometimes Two hundred, three hundred thousand dollars in medical school debt. So I get where he's coming from, but I think you're going to give him a little bit of uh, unconventional advice, maybe here. Take it away. Yeah, right. And uh, I know exactly <laughs> what it's like to take yeah. on those debts. So I attended NYU Stern MBA program full time. Oh boy. And uh, yep. <laughs> and I leveraged. <laughs> Say no more. You know. Yeah. <laughs> so, so the way I paid for it is uh, I leveraged a mix of savings and students loan to help to help finance my education. Um, also, with any of these programs, there are scholarships and grants that are out there. So, Christopher, I highly encourage you to uh, leverage those as well if you can. Um, but back to your question about, you know, your first year. The um, the retirement savings has not yet been offered in the 403b. Um, yes, I highly recommend you start putting away uh, for your savings because, you know, when you're looking at retirement um, in your 20s is exactly the right time to start to prioritize both the retirement and your savings. The longer you you invest and the longer that your money is put to work the higher the outcome. There's this thing called compounding growth. So when you're, in, when you're investing or uh, savings, the interest you earn each year on whatever your savings is added to your principal. So that balance just doesn't grow. It grows at an increasing rate. So it's really important kind of fundamental uh, rule that we always preach to our clients is the value of compounding. Mm -hmm. So, you know, starting early and starting to save for both your uh, retirement and your, your, um, your, your medical school, it's really important to start now. He also mentioned maybe investing in a Roth IRA, which might not be a bad idea. As we know, uh, the Roth IRA, you can fund that with post-tax income. And remember, a Roth uh, is flexible in its uh, use, right? He can save for with the intention of saving in a Roth for retirement. But if, let's say, I don't know, for some reason he needs to pull out uh, his contributions, a part of that for purposes of fueling his student loans. I know it's not ideal, but it can, that is something that the Roth can do for him in the event that he wants to take that money out without penalty. Right. That's correct. Yeah. I really appreciate your advice about picking a school that, you know, ultimately choosing the medical school path that is the best ROI. So, mm -hmm. you know, whether that's getting your dream school, which may be expensive, but you've got scholarships, grants, work study, all that stuff. If it's, um, 
you know, maybe not your first choice school, but it's a free ride. That's something you got to think about. Really think hard about that. Um, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. But, you know, the value of the education. So um, so I, my cousin, he also had that, that interesting kind of situation. He could either go into Stanford MBA, but have to pay for it or another college on the East Coast for an MBA program full-time where the full ride. So there is that choice that you need to make, either the mm -hmm. top MBA or top medical school in the country and having to pay for it, where you look at the ROI over the entire, your entire life. Because there's only one, you only go to a medical school once. So, right. so if, it, if you're able to get into the top, top program and you can see the value of the rest of your life, yeah. That's that's a decision you have to make. Yeah, boy, though, I would also recommend, Christopher, that you go back and you listen to some of my episodes where I've talked to, for example, um, doctors uh, D and Renee Darko. Um, sorry, me and Renee Darko. Uh, they're a married couple, both went to medical school and got their MBAs uh, and really worked hard to pay down, I don't know, it was like $600,000 in total student loan debt. That's an wow. extreme, but I think that it's good to hear their story just to kind of hear, you know, what it's like to walk out of programs like medical school with a lot of debt. Um, and uh, yeah, so good luck to you, Christopher, and great job so far. He's on such a great track and I feel very far it feels like he's really ahead of the the, the as I say the financial eight ball so many young millennials absolutely. come out of school with yep at 23 thinking through this that's absolutely amazing yeah he's fantastic all right next question is Charlie and he says that uh, his co-worker is about to receive a large sum of money from a lawsuit He's asking this question for a friend, I guess. Um, he says, I don't know the details, but I, uh, I recommended for her to invest that money. Unfortunately, mm -hmm. he says, I don't know anything about investing, but it was the first thing that came to mind. I love that he's concerned about her windfall. Um, just, just thinking out loud here. Any tips, he says, what advice can I share with her so she doesn't burn through her money? Would really like to guide her. Super awesome person. Oh, that's so sweet. It's really that's sweet amazing. that he's looking out for her. Um, yeah. So windfalls. I mean, this is the sort of thing where you really, mm -hmm. I almost say, you know, don't do anything for the first month because it's very yep. easy to emotionally <laughs> do something irrational. I often ask this question on my podcast, uh, you know, like, what would you do if you won the lottery? And I really appreciate when some guests are like, I would do nothing, <laughs> you know, at least for the first year, <laughs> right? So I can just like catch up to the, so my adrenaline can kind of, you know, die down a little bit and then I can maybe make some moves with some clarity. But what would you say to our friend here who's generously concerned for his colleague? Yeah, so you, you hit it right in the head initially is, first of all, Charlie, tell your coworker just to slow down. You know, at that first rust of excitement, you know, it's really easy to burn through that, that, that windfall, get an expensive car, fancy new clothes, or an, ex, you know, extremely expensive trip. So even yeah. I went through something similar, but it was not necessarily a windfall. We were provided a extremely low rate unsecured loan in college. And my first instinct was to buy a Harley Davidson motorcycle. I absolutely love that bike. That was awesome bike. And a few of my friends took it a little more easy and they started investing in some tech stocks. 
special this online book retailer called Amazon. So I do have a few regrets there. So, <laughs> <laughs> oh so yeah, this is about 20 years ago. Mm. So but like I said, first thing, just take it easy, slow down. Um, also, you know, while she's thinking things through, I recommend that she puts her money somewhere safe, like a money market account, at least for a few months while she explores her options. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's definitely like the next step. Uh, next, she's got to figure out how to pay her taxes. Now you you receive a million dollars, that's great, but sources like a legal settlement or any kind of work-related bonus or short-term capital gains, they're taxed at ordinary income tax rate, which kind of top out at 40%. Mm-hmm. So I recommend that she works with her accountant and figures out how much she needs to set aside to cover cover that windfall. Because trust me, come April, she does not want to be looking to pay Uncle Sam because that could be a significant amount of money right there. Yeah. So while her friend here, Charlie, I think it sounds like he wants to ultimately get her to invest some of that money, you're recommending some steps before that, which is one, just kind of, you know, set aside maybe, I don't know, 30% of it or more, but depending on her tax mm-hmm. rate for the ultimate tax, you know, she'll have to pay taxes on this. Uh, yep. Then, you know, maybe putting the rest in quote unquote safer, um, investment vehicles or even just plain old vanilla savings vehicles. I mean, I would look at also like, you know, in everyone's financial plan, there are some basics, right, that they want to cover, like rainy day savings. Um, They want to make sure they're paying off their debt. They want to make sure like at least high interest debt uh, that they've also perhaps, you know, started on some sort of consistent retirement strategy. So, I would also say to Charlie, just to add to what you have said, um, Joe, is just kind of like ask your friend, are there any holes in your financial plan that need filling, right? If you don't have an emergency fund, if you haven't started investing for retirement, if you have some credit card debt, I think those things also, in addition to the taxes, this is a great opportunity. You got a windfall, kind of, you know, fill that, fill those buckets immediately, Nope, absolutely. I I totally agree. And especially when it comes comes to debt, you know, we're in the Bay Area. It's very, very expensive to live here. A lot of individuals out here carry some uh, credit card debts. Some of those credit card debts cap out at like 15, 18% pays those things off first. Um, That's definitely should be a part of the plan. But, um, but, but getting back to, to Charlie's question, you know, talking about actual investing, once she fills all the gaps in her finance, in her finances. You know, our, we have several investing principles and the very, very first one is to establish a plan. Mm-hmm. She definitely needs to think through and write down her goals and know what she's investing for. If that's, if that's something that she's going to pursue. Um, yeah. Also, definitely we don't recommend just putting all the money into one particular stock. No. So she should build a diversified portfolio that's all based on how much risk she can handle. So there's so many different asset classes out there, but the two primary ones are the the stocks and bonds and they behave differently. So they definitely need to, we definitely need to figure out a, a mix based on her risk tolerance and her goals. And I love that you've also um, encouraged her. I mean, we were talking earlier about this before we were taping, but like treating herself, right? Like, Mm -hmm. okay, so you've done all the, 
important, responsible, boring things first. Good job. <laughs> and if you've got some money left over, then enjoy it. You've earned it. Absolutely. Absolutely. We highly encourage that. Just don't go overboard. Yeah. <laughs> Within reason. Thing. <laughs> Within reason. Exactly. Within reason. Yes. <laughs> okay. Awesome. Okay. So, um, Next question here, also along the lines of investing, this person wants to know, AG wants to know, how useful will the auto rebalance feature be uh, on my 401k fund um, in terms of managing my 401k funds? Should I use the auto rebalance feature? Does, is it helpful? Uh, I'm going to say yes to this. <laughs> Yes, I agree. I agree. And it's one of our seven investing principles. So forgetting to rebalance your 401k is like you're in a boat in a river and you're letting the current steal your boat. You're going to end off off course if you're not using your steering wheel. So if you want to keep your portfolio aligned with your goals and risk tolerance, letting asset classes drift can definitely expose your portfolio to a level of risk that can feel uncomfortable and cause you to make some real knee-jerk and potential costly decisions. So I was, I was thinking through this, and we looked through a hypothetical portfolio that was 60% stocks and 40% bonds 10 years ago. If you look at it now, because of this drift, now we're up to 83% stocks and 17% bonds without rebalancing. Oops. Think of all that risk yeah. that you take because you're just letting it not, you know, you're not managing your 401k and, and rebalancing your funds. So, so my long-winded answer is yes, definitely that auto rebalance feature is super useful. And the auto is the key, right? Because left to our own volition, even if you know the good practice of going in there and trying to reallocate your portfolio on your own, who has the time? Who has the, who, really? I mean, I, I can think of a million other things I'd rather do. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's, you know, we try to look at it every six months and, you know, look at the rebalance, but, you know, we're almost halfway through the year right now. So if anybody <laughs> hasn't done the rebalancing, definitely mm -hmm. should or use this auto rebalancing feature because the market has been moving in different directions and you definitely want to make sure you're back on track. So, so yeah, AG, definitely use the feature. Awesome. All right. Last questions here from Caitlin and she is uh, going to be pursuing her CFP certified financial planner education. Congratulations, Caitlin. And she wanted to awesome. know what are the best loan options for this? She needs about $3,500. She has great credit. So would it be better to put it on a no interest credit card? So not talking, you know, tens of thousands of dollars here. Uh, there are definitely credit cards out there where she could open up a, say, 0% balance transfer card and, you know, put this on there uh, for a minimum of, I think, maximum of like 12 or 15 months. Chase Slate, for example, has a card like that um, at 0% interest. The the trick here, you know, is that you got to pay it off by that term limit um, before the interest rate increases. And then you're kind of back to almost like using any old credit card with a high interest rate. Um, so if she can commit to paying it down within that time frame, I'd say that kind of a card could be good, uh, could be better than say a card that has a, an interest rate uh, month to month. But what do you think? Yeah. So, so you hit it right in the head. It's as long as you can pay it off before the offer ends, that makes sense. So, but 
once that rate kicks in, that rate can go up to 15, even 25%. Yes. And that could really make it difficult to pay down that loan, even if it's $3,500. So, you know, there's, there's also uh, other options, you know, depending on if she can get a student loan for this. Some, if she works in a financial services firm, oftentimes the firm offers some type of um, reimbursement for education, reimbursements. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, also, and, and that's free money right there from the employer. Also, 3500 you know, if we don't want to let her lose her motivation for pursuing this, of course, but if she, she waits a little bit and saves up for the 3500 yeah. she can she can pay, uh, you know, cash for it. But I, I, I like that she's going to pursue this. You know, I did the Chartered Financial Analyst designation, the CPA designations. I, I paid for both of those, and I, I definitely recommend those investments of both time and money in those. So uh, kudos to her. <laughs> yeah, kudos to you. And I will say, personally speaking, I'm uh, I'm embarrassed to say I pursued the CFP and never finished it. I was uh, overextending myself. I was pregnant, launching a book, running a business. Oh, and maybe I'll pursue this CFP. And so I bought <laughs> the course. I bought all the books. And of course, um, the books are collecting dust now. But the but the but the real reason I want to tell you this story is not to discourage you, but to say that sometimes you may be able to find discounted books for the course online because, like someone like me, I ended up donating the books. But maybe you could go and get these books for a fraction of the price online, which could help to save for the expense of this course. And then also shop around for this course because I looked at different ways of doing this. There were like on, strictly online programs. There was the option of going to a class every week plus an online component. And so, you know, and uh, the prices are different for these different tracks. So you could probably just see also what else is out there. There's not only one price to pay for this. I, and I don't remember what I ended up paying. I think it was around 3500 but it might have even been less because it was strictly online. So maybe just also keep looking and seeing if you can find something a little bit more affordable. But I like your idea, um, you know, of just you know, saving up for it. If this is something that you don't have to do imminently, the CFP test is multiple times a year. So it's a flexible, as far as I understand, it's pretty, it's pretty much a, like kind of learn as you go sort of thing. And if you wanted to take the test next year, you could slowly start to take the course you know, later this year. Um, and, and that could buy you time to shore up the money to pay for at least half of this uh, without putting, without getting too far into debt. All right. How did you do your CFP, Joe? Did you, uh, or, or you have a CFA? CFA and a CPA. And a CPA. Yes. <laughs> and so, so I was a little partial funding through, um, through my employer and then partially paying for myself. Uh, like a lot of other, other candidates for the CFA, um, it, I didn't make it through the first time all the way through. So unfortunately, the employer only co uh, covers the first time go. So, you know, so I had to pay for it out of pocket. Uh, but again, it's an investment to the future. Yeah. And it's definitely not like paying for a, you know, a very pricey MBA uh, program or, or, or medical school. 
but it is it is worth it in the long run for from my perspective is to go through this this the great curriculum that the CFP CFA or CPA has and um, and then you know as long as you meet the the requirements of continuing education that's that's a designation you keep forever yeah and then one last last thing I want to say is uh, I remember when I had a financial planner and I would go into her office there was a member of her staff who was kind of a junior analyst there who was getting his CFP on the job. So that's another path. And maybe you've already considered this, uh, but you could transition your job first. If they're, if you're at somewhere where they're not going to pay for this certification, go work somewhere where they would on, on the job training, but also an opportunity to get this reimbursed and then maybe go back to this employer um, and continue to work there. And, um, you know, that's a, that's a very kind of specific strategy and maybe you don't have a lot of options there that way, but just another thing that I, I know I've, I've seen, I've witnessed. So good luck to you. And thank you for your question, Joe. It was so nice to hang out with you on the podcast. Yeah. Same here. Same here. Thank you so much for Nish for having me on here today. Absolutely. And thank you for all the resources. Everybody listening to learn more about Schwab and how to work with them, head over to schwab.com slash so money. I'm a customer of Schwab. Um, so I'm a big fan. The, um, the company offers a range of services for people looking to invest and plan for their future, whether you want to invest on your own with the help of do-it-yourself tools and educational resources, um, get some periodic guidance from, from a professional or work with someone in a branch. You can get it all at schwab.com com slash so money.